Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the New Testament book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Listen again for the word of the Lord. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you know that before I was a pastor, I was an engineer working at General Electric. Years ago, I was on a project team based in Atlanta with a co-worker named Julien out of Montreal. This was not unusual to be on teams that crossed not just outside, we're not just outside of my state, but actually outside of our country. It's one thing I loved about working there, to meet people from all over the world. And so for months, Julien and I worked together over email, over the phone, over long conference calls, and over time, we became friends. And then one day I was sent to Montreal for training and I was excited because finally I would get to meet my friend face to face. The first day of training, I rushed in late and I slid into the last seat on the last row. And I immediately knew why that seat was empty because to my left was a a grungy looking guy with long hair and a tongue ring and big heavy motorcycle boots, I really wished that I had been on time so that I didn't have to sit by that guy. I could have sat instead with my friend. Well, the training started and it was corporate training, and some of you have been in corporate training, and I decided it would be a lot more fun to scan the room and try to match the people in the room with my friend, Julianne, the friend that I was looking for. Now, this was a long time before Zoom or FaceTime or even Facebook, And so I didn't know what he looked like. I had no idea, but I didn't need to know what he looked like because I knew who he was. He was smart and studious, hardworking, a a little nerdy. I imagined him like a sweet, younger brother. I had narrowed it down to a guy on the second row with glasses and a skinny red head in the left corner. And as I was trying to decide between these two people, which one was actually my friend, more likely to be my friend, I remembered one last crucial detail, that when the weather was nice, Julian always rode his bike to work. I thought 
That was very environmentally friendly of him. I decided it definitely was the redhead in the corner. I was thinking about the bike even as I scooted over to give Mr. Hell's Angels a little more space. <laughs> I was so confident that I could pick my friend out of the crowd that it wasn't until the first coffee break I realized I had been sitting beside him the whole time. <laughs> Have you ever failed to see what was right in front of you? I have, you might have. <laughs> This happens on a small scale every single day. We stand in front of our pantries and not see the potato chips in the, the, the drawer right in front of us. Have you ever torn your house apart looking for your keys only to find them on the counter exactly where you last put them? It happens all the time. We don't see what's right in front of us. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Revelation, and the writer of Revelation identifies himself as John of Patmos. John receives a vision from God and is commanded to write down and share what he sees. Well, what does he see? After a few chapters of introduction, Revelation chapter 4, uh, really the plot starts going here. John is whisked up to heaven where he stands in the throne room of God. He, here he sees a figure on the throne surrounded by divine creatures and a circle of 24 elders, all worshiping. And then in chapter 5, the passage we read today, John sees that the one on the throne is holding a sealed scroll. We understand that the scroll is the will of God. In fact, the descriptions we have of this scroll match the way a first century last will and testament would be presented, would be sealed up in wait for the proper executor. The rightful executor will open the seals and bring about God's will for creation. So who is worthy to open these seals? Well, John looks around the heavenly crowd and sees angels and humans and strange creatures moving about, but he doesn't see anyone worthy. Meanwhile, our world continues to spiral into death and destruction and sin. There seems to be no end to the suffering. And so John begins to despair. Who will save us from these trials and tribulations? And then one of the 24 elders encourages John, saying, Behold, the Lion of Judah. Sound the trumpets, break out the harps, fire up the incense because the lion has arrived and he will open the scroll. Well, John doesn't see a lion. He peers through the crowd, wondering if he's missed something. He peers all the way to that central throne and there John does see something. What does he see? He writes, then I saw a lamb. A lamb? John was promised a lion. He was looking for a lion. And we are right there with him looking for that lion, looking for a figure of power and glory and majesty. How long had the lamb been there? We don't know. We weren't looking for it. Have you ever failed to see what is right in front of you? All that buildup, all the excitement for a lamb... Lambs aren't majestic, they're not powerful, they're not even particularly smart. Some of you have been around lambs before. But this is not just any lamb. No, it gets worse. John tells us this was a slaughtered lamb, 
bloody and half dead. Now, if you were in worship a few weeks ago, we went through Revelation chapter 19, and there we saw a dying king leading the troops into battle. And we said, who would follow a dying king? Revelation 5 is the beginning of that story arc. And here our hero, the worthy one, the Lion of Judah, presents as a dying lamb. Revelation has this ongoing joke inside of it, this ongoing irony. The king shows up crucified, the lion shows up as a lamb, and in a few weeks, we'll see that the greatest power in all creation shows up as a fragile infant. These are called reversals. And scripture is full of reversals. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches using reversals. You might recognize them. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are poor, those who are persecuted. Jesus blesses the very people who would not consider themselves blessed. Those are reversals. We find reversals in all four Gospels. We find them in Revelation, in the letters of Paul. We find them in the Psalms. We even get one in the book of Samuel. We get a reversal as we read about King David. We learn he was not tall or handsome like the king before him. David didn't have the right look to be king, yet God chose him anyway. This is a reversal. In Genesis, we have reversals. Remember Cain and Abel? Remember Jacob and Esau? Which brother does God choose to pass the blessing through? Does God choose the firstborn son, the one society chooses? No, God chooses the younger brother every single time. These are reversals. We even get them in the prophets. So in our Old Testament reading today, we have a famous passage filled with reversals. You've probably heard them. Isaiah chapter 11 begins by describing the reign of a righteous and rightful king, the rightful executor of the will of God. This is God's chosen king. Now how will we know that God's chosen one has ascended the throne? Isaiah describes how the kingdom will look. It's a kingdom marked by reversal. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the lion will eat straw like the ox. This is lovely. It would make a touching meme. The lion snuggling up against the lamb. It's cute and it's sweet, but it's not the world we live in. It's not the world we live in. Have you ever seen a lion? Some of you may have seen a real lion in real life. My brother saw a real lion once. He was on a drive-through safari in South Africa. It came 10 feet from his car and he has a video of it to prove it. But still, it's terrifying. Do you know why the lion crossed the road? Because he can. <laughs> Some of you have seen a real lion. The rest of us have just seen them in the zoo, and that's enough for me. The Atlanta Zoo has a lion exhibit. Every time we visit, I stop at the lion enclosure to make sure the lions are still in the enclosure. <laughs> Twice a day, they feed those lions. You know what they feed them? They don't feed them straw. Not like what Isaiah 11 says. What's for dinner if you're a lion? Beef, yeah. Beef is what's for dinner. At the Atlanta Zoo, the lions and the calves lay down together, but only one gets back up. <laughs> that is the world we live in. Back in November, in northern India, you might have seen this story. An eight-year-old boy named Deepak was playing in his backyard. Now, what does Isaiah 11 say? The child will play with the snakes, right? Well, Deepak got tangled up with a cobra. 
the cobra had read Isaiah 11. It bit Deepak on the hand. And now that wasn't very nice. It wasn't nice. Deepak didn't think it was nice. So Deepak bit the snake back and he killed it. No joke. He said it tasted like chicken. That is a joke. He didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say that. Deepak fortunately survived, but he was very, very lucky. Over 50,000 people a year are bitten by snakes in India and die from it, and one out of four of those are children. This is the world we live in. We live in an eat-or-be-eaten world where the strong survive and the powerful inherit the earth. And so Isaiah 11's vision of peace runs counter to our lived experience. And maybe that's the point. Isaiah 11 presents a reversal. And it's yet another reminder that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. Why does scripture have so many reversals? Because God is trying to show us something true about who he is, who Jesus is, and how God's kingdom shows up in our world. See, I think God knows that we have this idea in our head of who God is and who God looks like. And that idea is wrong. Because over and over again, we fail to see what is right in front of us. So we must be reminded to look at our world with new eyes. I love the elder that we met in Revelation chapter 5. Remember the elder? John sees the sealed scroll, but there's no one to open the seals. This brings John to despair because when the seals are open, God's will can finally be brought to fruition. But until they're open, that won't happen. But then, one of the elders encourages John. That word, elder, is the Greek word presbyteros. And presbyteros is the word from which we get Presbyterian. So there you go. There's at least one Presbyterian in heaven. What does the elder, the presbyteros, say? He says, behold. Look, see, behold, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, has arrived. To a world struggling under the weight of death, destruction, and sin, to a world in despair, we, we are called to point others to Jesus. We are called to see through the crowds, the distractions, the false messiahs, and to recognize the Lamb of God when he arrives, when he is sitting right next to us. This is no small task. What we learn from Revelation from Isaiah is that our king is an upside-down king of an upside-down kingdom. At its best, the church lives out these upside-down values. In fact, it may be the most important thing we do. Out there, it's an eat-or-be-eaten world. In here, there is a place for everyone at the table. Out there, you are either a winner or a loser. In here, each of us is claimed as a beloved child of God. The early church, the first people who heard Revelation, understood this. They leaned into those upside-down values. They worshiped a dying savior. They pledged obedience to a crucified king. And following Jesus' example, they poured themselves out in service and in love. Where the church spread, the communities became stronger. When they looked for Jesus, they knew what they were looking for. 
do we know what we're looking for? Because if we would see Jesus in our time, in this place, we must look for him with new eyes. We must look for him as the infant without a bed, in the refugee forced from his home, among sinners and outcasts and criminals. As we write this Advent, as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, may we see Emmanuel, who is right in front of us. May we strain our eyes, not for the lion, but for the lamb. And when at last we see Jesus, may we tell all the world the good news. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.